Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time you've given us. We thank you for this moment to be in your house. We thank you for the health and the ability to be able to gather together. And we thank you most of all that we're celebrating a season that rings with truth. So this morning I pray that you will take your word and you will lodge it deep in our hearts and you will create in us a deeper love for our Lord and also for our fellow man. That you fill us with a sense of wonder and worship and that you would compel us in love to go out and be ambassadors for you. Because right now, Lord, ambassadors are needed. We've lost so much. But will you remind us today that gain is coming our way. In this life and measure, but beyond measure in the age to come. So we don't despair this morning. Even though our outer man may be wasting away, our inward man is renewed day by day. So we will labor, not for the things that are seen, but for the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So give us that focus this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to spend a few moments this morning in Philippians chapter 4. And just a few days ago, some folks, the guilty parties may or may not be in this room, discovered some pictures of me when I was a freshman on the freshman basketball team in high school. And it was unfortunate in those days that the style of shorts were so short. Why couldn't we have baggy shorts back then? And I took the pictures that had been texted to me on my phone and I, I went throughout the, the house to show them to the kids and and God bless his soul, my, my middle son, my baby boy, my little Lucas Bradley, who is a good seven inches taller than I am now, looked at those pictures and said, Dad, you look exactly the same now as you did then. And so immediately I bought him more Christmas presents, went and had my will redrawn up, and he gets more of the inheritance. I did all that before I answered the text, and when I answered the text, somewhere along the way I said, man, that seems like a whole different lifetime, like it was a lifetime ago. And then I, I thought for a minute and said, you know what? March of this year seems like a lifetime ago. My goodness, how much the world has changed in a few months. And how much have we lost? We've lost seasons of time. There are people who have not been able to see their family, not just for days or weeks, but for entire seasons. 
There, there are people, friends of ours, on our Facebook feed that have barely been able to go to church and, and how they're missing and lamenting the fact that they're not getting to gather with God's people as you and I are today. Our children haven't missed important milestones. Birthdays are smaller. Graduations have been changed. Games have been canceled and are being canceled and will be canceled. And all that pales in comparison to the immense loss of human life. I have a friend who is a, a, an MD, a medical doctor, and he feels called of God to spend the bulk of his time in nursing home environments. He's one of the few doctors that you can find that really feels called to minister to those folks in the nursing home. And I, I talked to him a few weeks ago, and, and he was working in a nursing home where COVID was just running rampant, and people were really, really sick. And, and so I was praying with him, asking him how things were going, and he said, you know, it's tragic what's happening just because of COVID. But he said, you know, we're losing people right and left over what he called a failure to thrive. And what that means is the loneliness and the isolation and despair has robbed from so many of his patients their will to live. And they're just giving up and passing on. Every time we turn on the TV, prophets of doom give us dour scenarios. And if we watch too long, we're filled with anxiety. And when we, we walk down the street, we don't know where to do a fist bump, an elbow bump, or run screaming in the other direction. People who used to be our friends and neighbors were worried if they're biological weapons. Because of government regulations, we're afraid to get too close to anybody because we may be quarantined for a really, really long time. And we're finding out what happens when we're alone with ourselves. And, and in the midst of this, it almost reminds me of like a scene out of one of my favorite children's books. C.S. Lewis in the children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, tells of this, this magical land that three children find staying in their uncle's house in the back of a wardrobe. They, they go in the wardrobe and they come outside and they fall into this magical land of Narnia. And when they get there, it's covered with snow and it's frigid. And they go and meet with inhabitants of the land. And they find out that the land is cursed by the white witch who has cast a spell over the entire land, making it a frozen tundra of despair. And the narrator says, as he's describing this land, he said, it was, it was a land where it was always winter and never Christmas. But, the children were told, there is a high king in the land whose name is Aslan the Lion. And when C.S. Lewis is writing this story, Aslan the lion is meant to be a picture of Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so when they say that it's a land where it's always winter and never Christmas, the children are told, but take heart because Aslan is on the move. And when Aslan is on the move, when he speaks, the ice melts. When he speaks, the land 
thaws. And here you and I are today in a land where how many times have you caught yourself saying this lately? It just don't feel like Christmas. It feels like it's always winter in 2020. But never Christmas. However, we know that's not true. We know that the light of God's love has broken in to the darkness. We know what it's like to have God melt our frozen hearts. We know what it's like to be prisoners and have the chains fall off of us, the shackles free from us. And if you ever catch yourself wondering, in the middle of this pandemic, why doesn't God do something? He has. And we celebrate that. And we celebrate that realizing that that truth of Christmas creates a different kind of person. In the passage that we're going to look at this morning, it talks about a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that passes all understanding is not that noticeable when everything's going well. But now, but now, God has left you and I here as ambassadors for Him. And our presence is supposed to change the room when we walk in it. Our presence is supposed to change the tenor and the tone of the dinners. Our presence is supposed to make an impact at the workplace or at the school or wherever we find ourselves. We are supposed to bring what one author calls a non-anxious, non-fretting, non-worrisome presence into any situation we come. Because we have met the Prince of Peace. And as children of peace, we're supposed to bring that with us when we walk in the room. Yet, we watch the same news as everybody else. We feel the same emotions as everybody else. And we grieve the same loss like everybody else. So how can you and I live up to our roles as ambassadors of peace in the midst of COVID-19? The Apostle Paul, in this wonderful letter to the church at Philippi, tells us in just a couple of short verses that there's three habits we can cultivate that will help us fulfill our role as ambassadors of peace, even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of such a loss, even in the midst of time where there is such sadness. There is something you can do. There's a lot you can't control. There's a lot that you can't change. There's a lot you can fix. But there are at least three things that you can do today that will make an impact in your life and through your life to others. Now notice here in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 7 and verse 9 there's what's called in biblical studies a bookend. 
So you got a big theme that's coming up at the beginning of the passage, and you got a big theme that's coming up at the end of the passage, so that you know from beginning to end, and everything in the middle is driving in this direction. And so you will notice in verse 7, he talks about peace. And you will also notice in verse 9, the theme of peace shows up again. So in these verses 6 through 9, what's driving the Apostle Paul is he wants the people at Philippi to live at peace. And you know why he wants them to live at peace? Because they got two women that are fussing. And he wants them to get it straightened out. And he wants people to help them get straightened out. And then he wants them to live at peace in the land where they are. He hits the ground running. In Philippians chapter 4, it's command after command after command after command after command. It's a very active chapter. And so we hit up midstream in verse 6 when he tells us not to do something and replace it by doing something. So he hits right where we are in verse 6 when he says, Do not be anxious about... And all of us kind of cringe a little bit. We just kind of wish the Lord would give us a little gray room here, but He doesn't. It's an all-encompassing. He says, there's not anything in your life that you are allowed to be anxious about. Which means every one of us has sinned in this hour, most likely. But he doesn't just leave it right there. Because God knows how we are. God knows when you tell the child, don't you eat those Oreos. They're almost driven to eat the Oreo. And so he says, don't you be anxious about anything, but instead of anxiety, what does he say? But in everything. By prayer. What a wide open invitation from our loving Father that is. He gives us an invitation to pray about everything and anything. It means because of Jesus Christ, the door to our Father is always open to us. And we can go in and ask Him anything we want. When I was first starting to be a pastor... And I found that if I was going to really get concentrated time to, to get the sermon prepared, that I had to study at home. And so I had a room. The, the family wasn't as big during those times. And, and I had a room. And when I would go in my room and shut the door, Mom and Joshua was the only kid we had at that time. They knew what I was doing. But they also knew Joshua always knew, even as a very small child, if he needs daddy, he doesn't knock. He just comes in. Now, anybody else but Kim and Joshua and the kids that would come later gets thrown out. But the son gets to come in and ask daddy whatever's on his mind. And what Paul is saying here is, we are sons 
of the living God. We are daughters of the living God. And we can walk in and ask Him and unburden our minds to Him whenever we want. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And He gives this multifaceted description of prayer. Prayer and supplication. And don't forget thanksgiving. Especially when it's hard. Now, everybody's wired different. Not everybody prays the same. You know what I have to do? I either have to get out my computer or I have to get out a pencil and a piece of paper and sometimes I just have to write down everything I am anxious about. Even how long my list of anxieties is. And take them one by one Lord, I thank you that you hear me. I thank you that you hold my time in your hands. I thank you that you are still God. Will you help me? Will you take this? Will you carry this burden? I can't do it. Now we are given a mighty encouragement and promise if we will take our burdens to God instead of taking them to everybody else. Look what he says will happen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And when you do this, he makes a promise. If you will trade your anxieties, take them to him in prayer, he says, and the peace of God. What's that like? What's it like to have peace that comes from God? What is it like to have the peace of God? It must be hard to describe because the Apostle Paul says it's the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. Have you seen it? Have you met someone whose life should be falling apart? And somehow they're okay. You ever met someone in the hospital that's just got bad news and somehow they're okay? There is a peace that God gives His people that is beyond the understanding of this world and particularly the powers of this dark age that can't understand what it's like to live for the living God. And he says, I will send my peace. If you do this, I will act. And I will act to send my peace to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's a military term. It means the peace of God is going to set up a fortress And start you on the path of being a non-anxious presence in an anxious and chaotic world. Just have to ask ourselves, are we spending as much time in prayer as we are watching the evening news? But God promises, if He does, peace will come. If we do, peace will come. But that's not enough. Not only must we pray, 
we also must learn to ponder. Now look at this expansive language that shows up in chapter 8. Finally, brothers, whatever. Now he's not using the word as we do sometimes like a sign of indifference, whatever. You know, what do you want for supper? Whatever. He's using it as an expansive term, as whatsoever. And then he gives a list of things, an almost overwhelming list of things. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what he's saying is, look around. The grace of God is everywhere. You see truth? You see beauty? You see loveliness? You see things that are worthy to be commended? You see things worthy of praise when you walk into a room what do you see first when you walk out of a room what do you see first as you go through this life what do you notice most it's as if he's telling us that the world is brimming to the full James says that every good and perfect gift has come down from above from the father of heavenly lights who does not change Are we looking for those things? He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, and here's the command, and it's a very, very strong command, think about these things. Focus on these things. Ponder on these things. Because he knows that when things are really, really hard, it's hard to think about the good things that are ours. In other words, the thing he's warning us against is one of those characteristic sins that some of us have, the sin of stewing and brooding over something that has upset us. You know, just kind of thinking in our mind Wanting to get even. There's, there's a silly movie that comes on this time of year. And even though I've seen it a million times, I fall for it every time it comes on. It's called A Christmas Story. It's about this little boy and his quest to get a BB gun. And I guess I watched that movie because I was on a quest to get a BB gun one time. And I made my boy's quest for a BB gun one time. And, and you can just kind of relate to the little guy. And the little guy has, uh, gets in trouble. And he says something that somebody ought not to say ever. And his mom, as his punishment, takes him in the bathroom and shoves a bar of soap right in his mouth. And he sits there with the worst kind of soap in his mouth. And she takes it out of his mouth and, 
after a while, lets him wash it out, and then he goes and he lays in the bed, and he closes his eyes, and he starts to dream and imagine. And he imagines himself in the future. And he comes walking in his parents' house, and he's got dark glasses on, and he's got a hat, and he's got a cane, and he's, he's feeling his way around, and he's gone blind. And he imagines his parents gathering around him going, Oh, son, what has happened to you? Is it something we've done? And, and out of choked voice, he says, It was soap poisoning. And they lament, Oh, we've... And, he, and the scene ends with him smiling like I got him. The reason so many of us can relate to that is because we know that's what our minds will do. We know that we can latch on, or we know that we can stew on things, and we know that we can brood over things, and we know, and we know, and we know. And some of you do it, and your family wanted me to tell you, we know when you're doing that, we know when you've zoned out, and we can tell when you come to and yell at us for no reason. We know what you've been doing. See, some of you are just... We know where you've been. Here the Bible tells us, fight that. Tell yourself no every now and then. Tell your thoughts no every now and then. I don't know that I would say it out loud in public. Because it would be weird if you're walking down the road going, no Shane, no! But every now and then you got to step in on your thought life and say, no, 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 no. There's truth out there, and the truth is no matter what happens in this pandemic, we win. If it takes our life, we get to Jesus quicker. There's lovely things out there. There are people who are showing sacrificial love for other people now. There are beautiful things. There are things worthy of praise. Interrupt your thought life with those and learn to see things in a hopeful way. There was a guy in church history a preacher by the name of Charles Simeon. And he was in a denomination where the church didn't pick the pastor. Uh, somebody outside of the church picked the pastor. He was at Oxford College in England, and he was, he was part of a church, and the overseer had asked him to go pastor a church right there on campus in the university. The problem was, everybody in the congregation wanted somebody else to be the pastor. And so they had really petitioned hard. We want this guy to be the pastor. We want this guy to be the pastor. And the overseer told Charles Simeon, he said, I don't care if you take this or not, but no matter what, that guy's not going to be the pastor. And he said, well, if he's not going to be the pastor anyway, I'll take it. And he took it. And for decades after, he suffered under the hatred of those people. They had pews then that had doors on them, and they had church wardens that could lock the doors to the pews. And so what they would do is, everybody that, that hated Charles Simeons and didn't want him to be their pastor, they wouldn't come to church when he preached, but they also got the, the, the wardens to not let them sit in their seats when they weren't there. So he would show up and preach to a church where people were sitting down the aisles and around the back and all those kind of ways, but the pews were empty. 
And they could only get half of the capacity in the church. And one day he was praying about this. You know, only, only half the amount of people that, that, can, that, that want to come can come. And then he started praying, but Lord, if you would just give a double portion of your spirit to those that can. If you will just pour out your spirit in a double way on those who are in attendance, that'll be just as good as if there was double attendance and less of your spirit. You see what he's done there? He looks into a very, very difficult situation and says, you know what, God, if you just do this, it'll be just as good. And it may be, it may be that when this is over, our churches are only half full. And that's discouraging. But it may be that God wants to do a double something with those that are left. Can you learn to look at life that way? Can we learn to think about the world that way? Can you combine that with a robust life of prayer? And can you learn to ponder the good things of God? If you can, you're on your way to walking in the room and bringing a non-anxious presence with you. But there's one more. It's not enough just to pray. It's not enough just to think. You must act. You must practice. He says that in verse 9. And isn't that one of the hardest things to do? Because isn't it easy to get overwhelmed? It's easy to get overwhelmed and just not know what to do. I'm going to be honest with you, and since she's not here, I can say this more freely. Whenever I run to town to do something, I have found over the years it's in my best interest. It kind of makes a deposit in the marital bank for me. If I say, hon, you need me to pick anything up. Just want to serve, honey. What do you need? You know? I know I have to make a bunch of deposits because the withdrawals come frequently in full. Trust me. And, and I, I'm good with almost anything. But when she says, you know, while you're out, can you stop by the grocery store? I mean... You said the other day, hey, oh, oh, if you're going out, could you stop by the grocery store and get sour cream? Okay, that sounds simple. I can spell that. I think I know where that is. I will go. I will do it. You can count on me. I am your guy. And so I go, do what I'm supposed to do, go to the grocery store. I go and I find the sour cream and there's like 27 different kinds there's 8 ounce, there's 16 ounce, there's, there's light, there's full, there's name brand, there's daisy, there's all these kind of things. And I look around and there's a grocery store full of guys going, there's just so many, I don't know what one. Yeah. And it never fails, I have to call in utter defeat. And it erases all of my deposits to say, What'd you need again? Which one? What size? Oh, well, how much is the? I, I mean, I just almost shut down. 
Yesterday it was yesterday she got me good yesterday because I said I've got to go to got to go to the store and 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 uh, I made the mistake of saying I've got to go buy Belk because I bought something at Belk's one, the other day and they gave me this card that gave me like twenty five bucks off and like I'm using this card I'm gonna find something for twenty five fifty and use the card and I happened to mention to Kim I'm going to Belk's and she said hey. I've been looking for a cardigan for Abby. Will you look and see if they have one? I'm like, what is that? She's too young to drive. What is it? And and she has to show me a picture. Do you know, guys, I didn't know this till yesterday. I'm kind of ashamed I know it now. Do you know how many cardigans there are at Belk right now? How many colors? And style. Some's got buttons. Some's not got any buttons. Some of them are plain. Some of them got all kinds of. I don't know. I had to be that guy, that guy who walks around belt with his phone flipped out and going, "Is that it? What about that one?" And go to the other side of the store and call him. How about this? And she finally said, "Never mind. I'll just order it online." Part of, what, part of where we live right now in, in this part of, of our, our human history is there's so much information and there's so many choices. It's absolutely overwhelming. And when things are absolutely overwhelming, the hardest thing to do is to take the next step. The hardest thing to do is just to move forward without being paralyzed by the choices. So what has God done to help us know the next right steps to take. He's given us a ministry within the churches that's vastly under-talked about. Do you know every single Christian is supposed to have the ministry of example to somebody else? You're supposed to live in such a way that people can get close to you They can hear from you. They can see you in action. And you can turn to them and say, just do what I do and you'll be okay. And isn't it a tragedy that all too often in our churches we know more about each other than we know each other. Paul says to the church at Philippi, what you have learned, what you have received, what you have heard, what you have seen in me. Isn't that pressure? What you've heard, what you've learned, what you've seen in me. You mean they're going to look at me? They're supposed to follow me? Yeah, they are already. Especially your kids and your grandkids. He says, you follow, you imitate me. What you've heard, what you've seen, what you've learned from me Make these things your practice. Do these things. Learn how to take the next right step of practice. And what does he say will happen? It's a little bit changed, isn't it? Earlier on, he said in response to our prayer that the peace of God will come. Now he says, as we take steps of obedience, what does he say? The God of peace. We pray the peace of God infuses our heart. We act and obey the God of peace. Does what? He's with us. And what is it that we celebrate at this time of the year? Oh, come, oh, come. Who? Emmanuel. 
God with us. God's going to be with you if you belong to Him. God is with you when you take hard steps of obedience. God is with you when you take the next step and you don't know where the other step's going to lead. He goes with you and He goes with you as the God of peace. And so you walk into that situation in your office. You walk into that situation in your family. You walk into that situation in your school. And you know He has promised I will walk with you into all those. Now when those habits are cultivated and they come together, it makes you a different kind of person. It makes you able to face things that other people can't face in a way that they can't face it. was sitting in a conference one time and the guy leading the conference was telling a story he was a pastor and one of his beloved church members that he had known for a long time had been diagnosed with cancer and it was a very rare and very aggressive form of cancer and so it's one of those situations where you find out that you've got cancer and you've only got days to live you know, treatment's not an option. And so this, this pastor was there with her as the family gathered around. And they were just devastated, like any of us would be. And this woman who had just received this horrible news pulled her children in beside her and she said, Kids, Watch me do this. Because Mama's going to show you how to die well. Mama's going to show you how to die trusting Jesus. Watch me do this. To me, that sounds extraordinary. According to this passage, the Apostle Paul says, that's ordinary among the Christian church that you and I ought to, be, ought to be able to walk into the midst of a pandemic and say, watch us. Watch us do this. Watch us live through this with peace that passes understanding. Watch us take hard steps of obedience and the God of peace go with us. Watch us and learn that Christmas is about more it's about more than you ever dreamed. Because the line of the tribe of Judah is on the move. And victory over death is coming. So watch us. Our friends, our families, our co-workers, our fellow students need someone to bring a non-anxious presence in the room and help them get through this as we get through this with our God who has come to dwell with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven.